Ezra chapter 8. I'll be reading this chapter in its entirety. These are the heads of their fathers' houses, and this is the genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylon in the reign of King Artaxerxes, of the sons of Phineas, Gershom, of the sons of Ithamar, Daniel, of the sons of David, Hattash, of the sons of Shechaniah, of the sons of Parosh, Zechariah, and registered with him were 150 males, of the sons of Pehath Moab, Elihoenai, the son of Zerahiah, and with him 200 males. Of the sons of Shechaniah, Ben-Jehaziel, and with him 300 males. Of the sons of Aden, Ebed, the son of Jonathan, and with him 50 males. Of the sons of Elam, Jeshiah, the son of Athaliah, and with him 70 males. Of the sons of Shephatiah, Zabadiah the son of Michael, and with him eighty males. So the sons of Joab, Obadiah the son of Jehiel, and with him two hundred and eighteen males. Of the sons of Shilamith, Ben Josephiah, and with him one hundred and sixty males. Of the sons of Bebai, Zechariah the son of Bebai, and with him twenty-eight males. Of the sons of Asgad, Johanan the son of Hakatan, and with him one hundred and ten males. Of the last sons of Adonikam, whose names are these, Eliphalet, Jeiel, and Shemaiah, and with them sixty males. Also of the sons of Bigvi, Uthai, and Zabad, and with them seventy males. Now I gathered them by the river that flows to Ahava, and we camped there three days. And I looked among the people and the priests, and found none of the sons of Levi there. Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jareb, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshullam, leaders. Also for Joyarib and Elnathan, men of understanding. And I gave them a command for Ido, the chief man at the place, Cassiphia. And I told them what they should say to Ido and his brethren, the Nethanim, at the place, Cassiphia, that they should bring us servants for the house of our God. Then... By the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding of the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, namely Sherebiah, with his sons and brothers, 18 men, and Hashabiah, and with him Jeshiah of the sons of Merari, his brothers and their sons, 20 men, also the Nethanim, whom David and the leaders had appointed for the service of the Levites, 220 Nethanim. All of them were designated by name. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahiva, that we might humble ourselves before our God, to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones in all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road, because we had spoken to the king, saying, the hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. And I separated twelve of the leaders of the priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and ten of their brethren with them, 
and weighed out to them the silver, the gold, and the articles, the offering for the house of our God, which the king and his counselors and his princes and all Israel who were present had offered. I weighed into their hands 650 talents of silver, silver articles weighing 100 talents, 100 talents of gold, 20 gold basins worth a thousand drachmas, and two vessels of fine polished bronze, precious as gold. And I said to them, you are holy to the Lord. The articles are holy also. And the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord God of your fathers. Watch and keep them until you weigh them before the leaders of the priests and the Levites and heads of the fathers' houses of Israel in Jerusalem in the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and Levites received the silver and the gold and the articles by weight to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. Then we departed from the river of Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambush along the road. So we came to Jerusalem and stayed there three days. Now on the fourth day, the silver and the gold and the articles were weighed in the house of our God by the hand of Merimoth, the son of Uriah the priest, and with him was Eleazar, the son of Phinehas. With them were the Levites, Jezebad, the son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Binuai. With the number and weight of everything, all the weight was written down at that time. The children of those who had been carried away captive, who had come from the captivity, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and 12 male goats as a sin offering. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. And they delivered the king's orders to the king's satraps and the governors in the region beyond the river. So they gave support to the people and the house of God. Well, beloved uh, people of God, today we look for the second time at Ezra chapter 8, in which God graciously enables Ezra to return to Jerusalem. God graciously enables Ezra to return to Jerusalem. As we've noted before, we're in the second half of the book of Ezra, namely chapters 7 through 10. Uh, Here in chapter 8, we're around 457 B.C., with Ezra's return with others from Persia, or today we would say the nation of Iran. Chapter 7 gave an overview of the return. Now here in chapter 8, the details of the return. The details of the return. As we look at this today, I want to note something in particular. And that is the importance and the reinstitution of the law, the importance and the reinstitution of the law. Matter of fact, one of the commentators on the Bible, a man by the name of S.G. de Graaf, he was a Dutchman, in giving an overview of this last half of Ezra, would basically say that's what this whole section's about, and certainly it is a major theme. The law, the importance of, and the reinstitution of the law. One of the reasons why, undoubtedly, he would have said that is if you look back to chapter 7, verse 10, in many ways it's the key verse 
of the entire Bible. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. So in other words, he sought, he did, he performed, and he taught the law of the Lord. And what we have here in this section, in this chapter, in Ezra 8, is the reinstitution, the re-implementing of God's law. The law considered broadly, moral, civil, and particularly today, we're going to see ceremonial. The law was, of course, important throughout this whole section of the end of Ezra. The law was important so that the people could demonstrate their obedience and to and love for God. The law was important so people could demonstrate, the people, the people of God could demonstrate we are thy people and we want to hear thy voice. The law was important to show the way of salvation, particularly, as we'll see today, with regard to the sacrifices. And the law was important also in order that Jesus could come and fulfill the law. So the re-implementing, the re-institution, the reawakening, we might say even, of the law so that Jesus could come as the one who is the fulfiller of that law and could provide salvation for us. Now, last time we looked at this, we looked particularly at verses 1 through 20, the people of Ezra's return, the people of Ezra's return, verses 1 through 20, talks about the heads or the chief uh, of their fathers. Families are important, obviously. Also talks about Levites and Nethanims. These were the, the Nethanims were the temple servants, uh, particularly those who were foreigners who effectively were servants, were slaves, if you will, with regard to providing for the temple. And as I pointed out last time, part of what this section is all about is the notion of embracing salvation. It's the call to join up, just like that announcer at Penn Station, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, all aboard. It's the call to join up, to, to come back into the promised land as a picture of their deliverance out of bondage, out of sin, out of corruption, out of the world system and coming back into the promised land. But also it was that they might rejoice in the divine plan of salvation. So it's a call to join up and also then to rejoice as well. Now today then we want to look at the protection, or excuse me, the provision of Ezra's return. Uh, next time, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks we'll look at the protection of Ezra's return. But today, the provision of Ezra's return, especially verses 24 through 30 and 33 through 36. So, as we look here now, verses 24 through 30, we see the overseers, the overseers, the ones who are going to inspect, if you will, and make sure that things are going to uh, to be implemented. The overseers, first of all, 
the 12 priests. Ezra says, and I separated 12 of the leaders of the priest, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and 10 of their brethren with them. But you also have those who were the ones who received all of this stuff that we'll be looking at in just a moment. Look at verse 33. Now on the fourth day, that is to say after they arrived in Jerusalem, now on the fourth day, the silver and the gold and the articles were weighed in the house of our God by the hand of Merimoth, the son of Uriah the priest, and with him was Eleazar, the son of Phinehas, with them were the Levites, Jozebad, the son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Benoi. So you had the ones who were receiving all of this stuff that had been brought back and were accounting for it, if you will. They were accountants. They were accounting for it. And then look at verse 36. We also see that involved here were the government officials. They delivered the king's orders to the king's satraps. Those would be high officials. And the governors in the region beyond the river. And indeed, what did they do? They gave support to the people and the house of God. So as we look at the provision of Ezra's return, we first of all see the overseers, if you will, and the ones who were implementing and also giving account for this material, which leads us then secondly to look at the material itself. So look at verse 26. I weighed into their hand 650 talents of silver. Now that's about 19 tons. That is a bunch of silver. That's a ton of, actually it's 19 tons of silver. A hundred talents of gold, that's about three tons. Silver utensils, 20 good bowls, two utensils of fine shiny bronze, Some have estimated this treasure here as being about the annual income of 100,000 to 500,000 men. Now, maybe it's not that high, but you get the point. This is a whole bunch of money, a whole bunch of material. And this is all part of supporting the temple and not only the, the building itself, but also to provide for the institution of worship. So the provision is, first of all, in terms of the overseers, secondly, in terms of the material, but thirdly, in terms of the holiness. My friends, this is the important thing, not the material itself. It's the holiness. There is concern here to be correct, that is to say, in terms of the ritual, in terms of the service. The Levites carried, the priest handled, And look at verse 28. And I said to them, you are holy to the Lord. The articles are holy also. And the silver and the gold are freewill offering to the Lord God of your fathers. You see, these people and this material were set apart for God's service. They were holy. They were holy unto God. This meant that these goods then were specially sacred and protected. Thus the concern to deliver the exact amount so that God would not be cheated, if you will, of his glory. These were all 
dedicated to Yahweh or to Jehovah, or we could say to the Lord. And then notice, where is this? Why, look at verse 29. Keep and Watch and keep them until you weigh them for the leaders of the priests, the Levites, and heads of the fathers' houses of Israel and Jerusalem in the chambers of the house of the Lord. And then verse 30, so the priests and Levites received the silver and the gold and the articles by weight to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. The house of our God. Is this not another instance of what must beat in the heart of every true believer? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. So you see that, the desire for that, for the house of our God. This material, by the way, would have been stored in three storied storerooms. So think of a warehouse with three stories, and that would have been against the back and the side walls of the temple. So if you look at 1 Kings 6, verses 5 and following, you see some uh, reference then to storerooms. Well, this provision of Ezra's return not only had to do with these people who would oversee, not only with regard to the material, not only in terms of the notion of holiness with regard to the people and the goods and the house of our God, the temple, but also in terms of the offerings, the offerings. Look at verse 35. The children of those who had been carried away captive, who had come from the captivity, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, and then you'll also notice, besides the burnt offerings, the 12 male goats, he goats as a sin offering. But all this was a burnt offering to the Lord. So what is meant by burnt offering? Basically, burnt offering, well, I want you to think about this, children, just a minute. If you, um, <clears throat> if you burn something, you're going to end up with nothing except maybe ashes, right? I do have to tell you a story on myself, if I may. Years ago, when we were living in Lawrenceville, Georgia, the first time we had moved to Georgia, um, we took some ashes out of the fireplace and put them in one of those uh, vacuums, you know, one of those dry vac things. Now, thankfully, I... I didn't leave that dry vac in the garage, but I, for some reason I put it outside on the driveway. The next day when we went to look, all that we saw were some wheels. The whole thing had melted. The whole thing was gone, if you will, basically, except for some ashes. Okay? So that was that's sort of the picture that you have here of the the most you would have left would just be some ashes, at most, if, if, in point of fact, it was not completely consumed. And so that's, that's what you have here. It's, it's that notion, then, of entire devotion to God, the burnt offerings, entire devotion to God. And we'll come back to that in a few moments in terms of what it means to be totally mm -hmm. devoted to God. So it's something 
about us, if you will. If we're going to offer this, then we have to be willing to offer ourselves and ourselves to be a, as it were, a burnt sacrifice. And then we see also the sin offering. Now, when we talk about sin offering, of course, what does this mean? It means taking care of our sin, taking care of our guilt, as well as the penalty for our guilt. And so when we talk about sin offering, of course, we immediately think of the atonement. What is the atonement? The atonement implies reconciliation between God and man. Sometimes people say atonement means at one meant. Now, it doesn't technically mean that, but you can understand how we, in English, you could say this as a way of remembering. We are now at one with God. The atonement, we are reconciled with God. Well, how do we get reconciled? Through the forgiveness of sins. How is there forgiveness of sins? There is the covering over of sin. There is the the sense of of expiation, of being covered over, of having our sins covered over and blotted out. But at the same time, there is this idea of substitution. And the way that you see this, when you look at, for example, in Leviticus and other places that talk about these sacrifices, what is the one offering the sacrifice to do? He's to put his hand on the head of that sacrifice, whether it be the goat or the ram or the bullock, whatever it is. Why? Because he is symbolically placing his sin and the guilt for his sin upon that animal. And what happens to the animal? It gets killed. So that the one offering the sacrifice doesn't have to get killed. And so the atonement, this is how we get right with God. It's the only way we can get right with God. We talk about the law. People say, I love the Ten Commandments. Great. But what happens when you break one of those commandments? You are guilty before God, and every sin deserves hell. How are you going to pay for your sin. You can't. And that's why you need a sacrifice in your place, substituting for you. And we see this, of course, in terms of the sprinkling of blood as well. The life is in the blood. The sprinkling of blood, it required sacrifice for us to have salvation. So we see the idea of sin offering, but then also as I mentioned a moment ago, the necessity of repentance. Not, of course, as a work. We don't repent because we say, well, God's going to think more highly of me now. No. Or trying to pay for our sin. No. Rather, as a sign of our sincerity. The necessity of repentance. The necessity of being wholly dedicated to God. Now look for a moment at the animal sacrificed here. You'll notice here in verse 35 the numbers of perfection. Did you notice this? Twelve bullocks. Um, So twelve bullocks, twelve he goats, 
male goats, and 96 rams. In other words, 8 times 12 is 96. And then, of course, you see the lambs. How many lambs were there? 70 and 7. 7 times 11, or 70 plus 7. Remember when Jesus said how many times, answered the question, how many times do you have to forgive your brother? And his disciples were thinking seven times. He said, no, 70 times seven, which could mean 70 multiplied by seven, 490, or it's also possible it could be 70 plus seven. But in any case, it is a number of, the seven indicates it is a number of perfection which again tells us something, does it not, in terms of the importance of the law indicating to us that we need a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. But notice uh, also that most of these types of animals are mentioned in Leviticus chapter 4. We won't look at that distinctly today, but I encourage you to look at it at some point. <clears throat> in Leviticus chapter 4, it's interesting that there you have the idea of inadvertent sin, accidental sin. I didn't do it on purpose. I didn't know, officer, I was breaking the law. Okay? But even when the children of Israel, without knowing they were break, breaking the law, broke the law, they still had to offer sacrifices showing the seriousness of sin even when you didn't do it deliberately or with knowledge. We've already mentioned the burnt sacrifice as indicating total commitment, and of course it is total commitment to the God of Israel. And on behalf of Israel, on behalf of Israel, these were offered. And then also, just take a moment here to consider the different animals. Bullocks. These would be steers, strong males. Matter of fact, most of these are males in terms of these sacrifices here. Uh, the he-goats, or the male goats, often used in sacrifices, number 7, verse 16, and other places. The rams, the male sheep often used in sacrifice. Its skins, by the way, covered the tabernacle before the temple was built, the temporary house of God, the tabernacle, the tent of God. And then, of course, the lambs. And here we are reminded, are we not, as we think of the lambs, how can we not think of Isaiah 53? How can we not think as we read all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. We are pointed immediately, are we not, to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the very Lamb of God and the one through whom we have the provision of forgiveness. So there are two points of application today, very simply, very briefly. 
The first is, my friends, come to Jesus Christ as the one who fulfilled all these sacrifices. John 1, verse 29. The next day, John, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And later, looking at Jesus as he walked, John again said, Behold, the Lamb of God, the one who was slain, the one who was sacrificed on your behalf. We see all throughout Scripture, of course, we see all throughout Scripture the whole idea of Jesus being the sacrifice and the substitute and the one in whom we have reconciliation. Romans 5, 10, and 11. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. The writer to the Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, young cow, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. In verse 26, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Verse 28, so Christ was offered once, we could say once for all, to bear the sins, to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And then also in terms of this with regard to Peter, First Peter 2 verse 24, who himself, Jesus, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree at the cross, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. So my friends, I call you first of all today to come to Christ, to come to Jesus as the one who fulfilled all these sacrifices. And then secondly, to examine yourself. Are you repentant of your sin? Now, don't, don't think when I ask that question, I'm saying, are you perfect here this afternoon? Because if that, was the, if that was the criterion, we'd have an empty table there today. It's not the question of, are you perfect? But are you repentant of your sin? Have you acknowledged your sin? Are you repentant? And as you examine yourself, are you really trusting in Christ for salvation? Or are you just playing games? So come to Christ 
And as you do, examine yourself. Prove your own self. Lest you be a hypocrite. And lest in coming, as Paul says, you eat and drink judgment to yourself. Amen. Will you please stand for prayer? And now, our Father, we pray that thy Holy Spirit would take this word and would apply it to our hearts and enable us, O Lord, to love thee and to serve thee, to embrace thee, thy salvation, in Jesus' name.